Section 5 of A Commentary on the Epistle to the Romans by John Calvin, translated by Francis Sibson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Romans 1, verses 1 to 29. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. This reproof is aimed against the hypocrites, who, while they attract the eyes of men by performing the duties of external holiness, conceive also security before God, as if they had afforded him every satisfaction. Paul, therefore, after he had demonstrated grosser vices, that he might leave none just before God, attacks this class of sanctimonious characters, who could not be comprehended under the first catalogue the inference is too plain and easy to allow any one to wonder from what source the apostle proves his position he therefore makes them inexcusable because they who know the judgment of god nevertheless break the law as if he had said though you do not consent to the vices of others nay appear a decided enemy and avenger of them yet because you are not free from them if you fairly examine yourself it is impossible to offer any defence of your conduct for wherein thou judgest another besides the elegant allusion of the greek words which mean to judge and to condemn we must notice his exaggeration against them for his observation amounts to the following effect you deserve to be twice condemned who are liable to the same vices which you condemn and accuse in others for it is a well ascertained opinion that such as demand from another a particular rule of life enjoin also to themselves the law of innocence continency and all other virtues and that they are unworthy of pardon if they commit the same things which they have undertaken to correct in another for thou that judgest dost the same things such as the literal expression the sense is although you judge yet you do the same actions yourself and he says this because their mind is not right for sin properly belongs to the mind and they condemn themselves in this respect because while they disapprove of a thief or of an adulterer or of an evil speaker they do not pass judgment merely against persons but vices which adhere also to their own bones but we are sure that the judgment of god paul's plan is to prevent the hypocrites from lulling themselves into security as if they had attained some great object if they are either praised by the world or absolve themselves for a very different examination awaits them in heaven moreover because he accuses them of internal impurity which being concealed from human eyes cannot be convicted and made manifest by human testimony he appeals to the judgment of god from which darkness itself is not concealed and by a sense of which sinners whether they will choose it or not must necessarily be touched this truth of judgment consists in two circumstances first it will punish guilt without respect of persons in whatever character it shall have been detected and in the second place it does not regard external appearance nor is content with the mere performance of a duty if it does not arise from real sincerity of mind hence it follows that a mask of feigned piety does not prevent him from punishing secret wickedness by his judgment the word truth according to the hebrew idiom means the same as internal integrity of heart and is thus opposed not only to gross falsehood but to the external appearance of good works hypocrites will then awake when god shall not only pass judgment finally on their pretended righteousness but on their secret affections and thinkest thou this o man that judgest them which do such things and dost the same that thou shalt escape the judgment of god 
or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering not knowing that the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of god who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality eternal life but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doth evil of the jew first and also of the gentile but glory honour and peace to every man that worketh good to the jew first and also to the gentile and thinkest thou o man since it is a precept among rhetoricians not to have recourse to vehemence of reproof before the crime has been proved paul may be considered by some to appear in this instance to rise up without sufficient reason who inveighs so keenly before he has completed the intended accusation but the case is widely different since he did not accuse them before men but convicted them in the judgment of conscience and he evidently considered that he had proved what he intended for if they should descend into their own hearts and admit the examination of divine judgment they would not be able to deny their iniquity nor is it without great necessity that he reproves such feigned sanctity by so much severity and keenness for this class of men rest in themselves with wonderful security unless they are shaken out of their vain confidence by some violent effort let us therefore remember that the best way of convicting hypocrisy is to rouse it from its state of intoxication and drag it before the light of divine judgment that thou shalt escape an argument derived from the less to the greater for if flagrant enormities must necessarily be subject to the judgment of man much more of god who is the alone judge of all men men are carried on by this divine instinct to condemn crimes yet this is only an obscure and slight shadow of god's judgment those are very foolish who think they can deceive the judgment of god when they do not suffer even others to escape from their own he uses the word man twice in an emphatic sense with a view to contrast man with god or despisest thou the riches i do not with some consider this to be a dilemma but the anticipating of an objection for since hypocrites are generally puffed up by prosperity as if they had merited god's clemency by their good deeds and thus become more hardened into a contempt of him the apostle meets their arrogance and proves by an argument derived from a contrary subject that they have no cause to consider god to be propitious to them by external prosperity since he adopts a very different plan for conferring kindness as a method of converting sinners to himself where therefore the fear of god does not reign security in prosperity is a contempt and mocking of his immense goodness whence it follows that those will justly experience more severe judgments who have been spared by god in this life because to their other wickedness they have added the rejection of the fatherly invitation of god and although all god's favours are so many testimonies of his fatherly goodness yet because he has often a respect to a different object the wicked foolishly congratulate themselves in prosperity while he cherishes them in a sweet and kind manner as if they were dear to him not knowing that the goodness for the lord by his lenity shows us that he is himself the person to whom we ought to be turned if we desire prosperity and he at the same time raises the confidence of expecting mercy if we use not the kindness of god with this design we abuse it though it is not constantly to be received by all in the same manner for while the lord treats his own servants with indulgence and follows them with earthly blessings he declares by such symbols his own kindness 
and accustoms them at the same time to seek for the sum of all good things in himself alone when however he treats transgressors of the law with the same indulgence he is desirous to soften their obstinacy by his own bounty though he does not now prove himself propitious but rather calls them to repentance if any one objects that the lord labours in vain when he does not affect their hearts internally we answer our depravity alone can be blamed in this instance the greek word signifies to lead by the hand rather than to invite and does not convey the idea of driving by force after thy hardness impenitence follows when we have hardened ourselves after receiving admonitions from the lord for such as are not solicitous about repentance manifestly tempt the lord and we learn from this remarkable passage what we have already hinted that the wicked not only heap up daily for themselves severe judgment from god as long as they live here but all the divine gifts which they constantly use will prove to their condemnation for they will be called to give an account of them all and they will then find what will justly be imputed to them as the summit of their guilt that they have been made more abandoned by the very kindness of god which ought to have corrected and improved their conduct we must therefore take great care lest by an unlawful abuse of blessings we lay up for ourselves this treasure of unhappiness against the day of wrath literally in the day of wrath for the wicked now prepare the indignation of god against themselves whose force will be poured out upon their head in that day they heap up for themselves secret destruction which will then be displayed from the treasury of god the day of the last judgment is called the day of wrath when the wicked are addressed though it is the day of redemption to the faithful thus certain other visitations of the lord are always described as dreadful and menacing indignation to the wicked which on the contrary are sweet and pleasant to the pious when the scripture makes mention of the nearness and presence of the lord he orders the pious to leap for joy and when he turns himself to the reprobate he makes him afraid with fear and terror that day says zephaniah one fifteen is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress a day of wasteness and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess a day of clouds and thick darkness a similar passage occurs in joel two two amos also exclaims chapter five verse eighteen woe unto you that desire the day of the lord to what end is it for you the day of the lord is darkness and not light moreover when paul adds the day of revelation he intimates what the day of wrath is namely when the lord will manifest his judgment of which he daily affords some proofs but suspends and preserves a clear and full manifestation of it to that great day for the books will then be opened lambs will be separated from the kids and the wheat be cleansed from the tares who will render to every one since the apostle has to deal with blind pretenders to sanctity who think they very well conceal the wickedness of their hearts provided they have i know not what disguise as a pretext for their vain works he has here determined the true righteousness of works which will be regarded before god that they may not hope to please him if they have merely brought forth words and trifles alone or leaves there is not in this sentence so much difficulty as is generally thought for if the lord shall punish with just vengeance the wickedness of the reprobates he will only repay them what they deserve again because he sanctifies such as he has determined at some future period to glorify he will also crown their good works but not according to merit nor can this be proved from the present passage which though it states the reward due to good works neither mentions their value nor their desert it is a weak inference to conclude anything to be merited because it is rewarded to those who by patient continuance 
literally patience. Perseverance takes place when anyone is not fatigued with a continuance in good works, but patience is likewise required for saints, that they may continue firm and resist the various temptations to which they are exposed, and whose weight they are enabled to bear by this virtue. For Satan does not allow them to go to the Lord in an easy course, but endeavours to prevent them by various impediments, and to turn them from the right path his observation that the faithful by continuing in good works seek for glory and honour does not mean their aspiring to anything else than the lord or their desiring any object of greater worth or excellence but they cannot seek him without aiming at the same time to attain the happiness of his kingdom which is described by the circumlocution used here the sense therefore is that the lord will give eternal life to those who meditate on immortality by the zealous practice of good works but to those who are contentious this passage is a little confused. In the first place, because the thread of the discourse is broken, which, to make it unite with the corresponding member of the sentence, must be supplied, the Lord will give eternal life to those who, by perseverance in good works, seek for glory, honour, and immortality, but eternal death to those who are contentious and do not obey the truth. The connection would then be supplied that glory, honour, and immortality were secured to the former, and anger and affliction laid up for the latter in the second place because the words indignation wrath tribulation and anguish are applied to two different members yet this by no means disturbs the sense of the passage which we chiefly seek in the writings of the apostle eloquence must be learned from other authors spiritual wisdom must be here sought under the despicable meanness of words contention means rebellion and obstinacy because paul contends with hypocrites who laugh god to scorn by a gross and supine indulgence the rule of the divine will which alone is the light of truth is simply indicated by the word truth for it is the common character of all unbelievers constantly to prefer the devoting of themselves to the slavery of iniquity to the taking of the yoke of god and whatever obedience may be pretended they do not cease with obstinate contention to rail at and struggle against the word of god for as openly wicked characters mock at this truth so hypocrites have no hesitation in opposing counterfeit worship to its simplicity moreover the apostle adds that such contentious characters obey unrighteousness for there is no intermediate step for such as will not yield to the law of the lord but they are becoming afterwards the slaves of sin and it is the just reward of furious licentiousness for those to be brought under the slavery of sin who refuse obedience to god indignation and wrath a great heat and sudden inflammation of anger is meant by the greek for indignation tribulation and anguish are the effects of indignation and wrath for such as experience god's anger and opposition are immediately and entirely worn out by them but as the apostle could briefly by two words point out the happiness of the pious and ruin of the reprobate he enlarges upon both expressions at greater length that he may intimidate men in a more striking and efficacious manner by the fear of god's anger and influence them with a desire of obtaining grace by christ jesus for we never sufficiently fear the divine judgment unless it is placed before our eyes by a vivid description nor are we ever inflamed with an earnest zeal for a future life unless roused by many and very powerful excitements to the jew first i doubt not but the jew is simply opposed to the gentile who were formerly denominated greeks the jews proceed in this instance who have the promises and threatenings of the law as if he had said this is the universal law of the divine judgment which will begin with the jews and include the whole world for there is no respect of persons with god 
for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law for not the hearers of the law are just before god but the doers of the law shall be justified there is no respect of persons hitherto in general he has brought all mortals as guilty to trial he now begins to convict the jews and gentiles separately and at the same time informs them that no distinction or separation from each other could prevent them from being both equally liable to eternal death the gentiles took their defence from ignorance the jews boasted in the title of the law he deprives the gentiles of any opportunity for escaping in consequence of such a plea and puts an end to the vain and false boasting of the jews the whole human race is divided into two classes for god had separated the jews from the rest but the gentiles were all treated in the same manner now this distinction teaches us that nothing prevents them from being both included under the same accusation of guilt the word person in scripture relates to all external things which are valued and honoured when therefore you read that god is no respecter of persons you must understand him as regarding the purity and internal innocence of the heart without dwelling on family country dignity power and such like which are generally esteemed among men respect of persons therefore means in this passage choice and distinction between different nations if any one should hence assert in a cavilling manner that the election of god is not gratuitous he must be answered by showing that there is a twofold respect of men in the presence of god the first means his choosing us with gratuitous goodness after calling us from nothing since in our nature there is nothing which he can approve the second implies his embracing us with gifts after he has regenerated us and following with his favouring regards the image of his son which he recognises in us who sinned without the law in the first division he attacks the gentiles and though they enjoyed not moses as a promulgator and ratifier of the law from the lord yet the apostle says it did not prevent them from drawing down upon themselves the just judgment of death by their sins as if paul had said the knowledge of a written law is not necessarily required for the just condemnation of a sinner consider therefore the cause undertaken to be defended by those who endeavour with preposterous mercy to exempt under the pretext of ignorance from the judgment of god the gentiles who are deprived of the light of the gospel who have sinned in the law as the gentiles carried away by the errors of their judgment fall headlong into a pit so the jews appeal to the law for judgment its sentence however is long ago pronounced cursed is every one who continueth not in all things written in the law to do them deuteronomy twenty seven twenty six a worse state therefore awaits jewish sinners whose condemnation is now pronounced in their own law for not the hearers of the law paul anticipates the exception or restraining clause which the jews could adduce they boasted in the alone knowledge of the law because they heard it to be a rule of righteousness in refuting this fancy he asserts that the mere hearing or understanding of the law has no weight and power by which righteousness may be secured and proves the necessity of bringing forth good works according to moses deuteronomy four one he that doeth these things shall live by them the import therefore of the present passage is if righteousness is sought by the law then it must be fulfilled for the righteousness of the law is placed in the perfection of works such as abuse this passage in support of justification by works deserve the scorn of children it is altogether preposterous and irrelevant to introduce here long discussions on justification for solving so futile a cavil 
the apostle presses upon the jews the only judgment of the law which he had mentioned because they could not be justified by the law without fulfilling it and if they transgress it the curse of the law was immediately prepared against them we allow absolute righteousness to be prescribed in the law but since all are convicted of transgression we assert the necessity of seeking for another righteousness nay from this passage we can prove that none are justified by works for if they only who fulfil the law are justified by it the consequence is that no human being can be justified because none is found who can boast of his having fulfilled the law for when gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when god shall judge the secrets of men by jesus christ according to my gospel for when the gentiles he now repeats the proof of the former part of the sentence for he is not satisfied to condemn us by a word and to pronounce the just judgment of god against us but he endeavours to convince us of it by reasoning that he may excite us in a greater desire and love of christ for he proves the gentiles to adduce ignorance in their defence without proving anything since they declare by their own deeds that they have a certain rule of righteousness for there never yet was found a nation so barbarous as not to restrict itself within certain laws since therefore all nations are disposed of their own accord and without an instructor to pass laws for themselves there can be no doubt that certain notions and anticipations of justice and righteousness had been naturally innate in the minds of men they have therefore a law without a law for they have not the written law of moses yet they do not want altogether a knowledge of right and equity for they cannot otherwise make a distinction between vice and virtue the former of which they restrain by punishments the latter secures their commendation approbation and the honour of rewards paul opposes nature to the written law for the natural splendour of justice enlightens the gentiles and supplies the place of law in which the jews are instructed it is in this manner the heathen are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written they testify the discrimination and judgment by which they distinguish between justice and injustice honour and dishonour to be inscribed on their hearts the apostle does not mean the work of the law to be so engraven on their will that they desire and eagerly pursue it but they are so far overcome by the power of truth as to be compelled to sanction its justice by their approbation for why do they establish religions but because they think that god is to be worshipped why are they ashamed of fornication and theft if both these are not regarded by them as evil the power of our will therefore is in vain attempted to be exalted and advanced from this passage as if paul had said the observance of the law is subject to our power when he is speaking not of our power to fulfil the law but of our knowledge of it nor is the word heart used here for the seat of the affections but for the understanding as in deuteronomy twenty nine four the lord did not give you a heart to believe foolish men and slow of heart to believe luke twenty four twenty five besides we must not from hence infer that men are possessed by nature of a complete knowledge of law but certain seeds of justice are only implanted in their mind such are the institutions of religious worship alike by all nations the punishment of adultery theft murder and the praise of faithfulness in commercial transactions and contracts for they thus prove themselves to be acquainted with the existence of a god with the crimes of adultery theft and murder and with the praise due to probity 
nor is it of importance what such a god their imagination conceives or what number of deities they form it is sufficient to find them acquainted with the existence of god and with the duty of honouring and worshipping him it is not of much consequence whether they allow the coveting of the wife of another man or of his property or possessions or whether they connive at anger and hatred since they will not be permitted to covet what is known to be a crime when perpetrated conscience bearing them witness and their thoughts he could not press them stronger than by the testimony of their own conscience which is equal to a thousand witnesses men endure patiently and are comforted from the conscious recollection of good actions they are harassed and tormented in their own minds when condemned by the voice of conscience hence the maxims of our ethical writers that a good conscience is the largest theatre and a bad one the worst of executioners which torments the wicked in a more cruel manner than all the furies there is therefore a certain understanding of natural law which dictates one action to be virtuous and to deserve the pursuit of all while it holds up another to our utmost detestation observe also with how much learning he describes conscience when he says that reasons present themselves to our thoughts by which we can defend our conduct when right and on the contrary very opposite arguments strike the mind when we are accused and convicted by crimes he refers these reasons by which we accuse and defend ourselves to the day of the lord not because they will then for the first time exhibit themselves which are constantly now in a vigorous state performing their office but because even then they will be efficacious and prevent every one from despising them as frivolous and vain in which god will judge the secrets of men this is a circumlocution of judgment very appropriate to the present passage for the purpose of convincing such as would willingly be concealed in hiding-places formed by their own stupid imaginations that these innermost thoughts now entirely hidden in the recesses of the heart will then display themselves to the light of day as in another passage while he is desirous to point out to the corinthians the nothingness of human judgments which stop short at external appearances he orders them to wait till the lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts one corinthians four five when we hear this let us remember the admonition that we may endeavour to attain genuine sincerity of mind if we are desirous truly to approve ourselves to our judge he adds according to my gospel signifying the doctrine published by him to correspond with the naturally innate feelings and judgments of mankind he calls the gospel his own on account of his ministry for the authority of publishing the gospel is in the power of one god the alone dispensation of it being entrusted to the apostles but we need not wonder if part of the gospel is said to be the messenger and herald's voice to a future judgment for if the effect and fulfilment of the promises are put off to the full revelation of the heavenly kingdom it must necessarily be joined with the last judgment christ also cannot be preached except to some for their glory and to others for their ruin each of which pertains to the day of judgment i refer the words by jesus christ though others disagree with me to the judgment because the lord will execute his own judgment by his son christ jesus for he is appointed by the father judge of the living and of the dead which is always reckoned by the apostles among the chief articles of the gospel this gives a fullness to the meaning of the passage which is otherwise frigid behold thou art called a jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of god and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind a light of them which are in darkness an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes which hast the form of godliness knowledge and of the truth in the law thou therefore which teachest teachest thou not thyself 
thou that preachest a man should not steal dost thou steal thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery dost thou commit adultery thou that abhorrest idols dost thou commit sacrilege thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law dishonourest thou god for the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles through you as it is written behold thou art called a jew some ancient copies instead of behold read if thou art called a jew and had it been equally sanctioned i should have approved of its adoption since the sense of the passage according to our present editions is sufficiently clear and the other reading occurs in fewer copies i retain the ancient especially since one particle is of slight importance paul having now finished the case of the gentiles returns to the jews and that he may in a more forcible manner repress all their vanity he grants them all those privileges on account of which they were puffed up with pride he afterwards proves how insufficient they are for the true glory nay how much they may contribute to their dishonour under the name of a jew he comprehends all the prerogatives of the nation derived from the law and prophets to which they made a false pretension and he thus understands all the israelites who at that time were promiscuously denominated jews it is moreover uncertain at what period this name began but it was undoubtedly first used after the dispersion josephus in the eleventh book of his antiquities considers it to have been derived from judas maccabeus under whose auspices the liberty and dignity of the people which had for some time fallen into decay and been almost buried again revived if any are not content with this opinion which i consider probable i will also state another conjecture of my own i certainly think it likely after they had been shorn of their honours by so many defeats and scattered into distant lands that they might not have been able to preserve any certain distinction of tribes for the number of the population could not be taken at the regular period their civil polity so necessary for preserving this order was at an end their habitations were scattered and straggled and the adversity by which they were worn down made them less attentive to their genealogical records should my readers not be disposed to grant the whole of my statement yet he must allow that there was great danger of such an event occurring from so great a scene of confusion whether therefore they were desirous to look forward to the future or to afford their assistance to an evil under which they were then suffering i think they would all at the same time have had recourse to the name of that tribe in which the purity of their religion had been preserved for a greater length of time which surpassed all the rest in the singular prerogative of the redeemer being expected to arise from it for their last refuge in the greatest difficulties was to console themselves with the expectation of the messiah they profess themselves in the name of jews to be the heirs of the covenant which the lord had entered into with david and his seed and restest in the law and makest thy boast of god he does not mean that they had rested in the study of the law as if they had devoted all their minds to its observance but he rather blames them because not considering for what purpose the law had been given they neglected to obey it and were puffed up with the opinion of the oracles of god being committed to their trust in the same manner they boasted of god not as the lord had commanded by the prophet jeremiah nine twenty four that being humbled in ourselves we may seek our glory in god alone but without any knowledge of the goodness of god they made jehovah who is not internally possessed by them peculiarly their own for the sake of vain ostentation among their fellow-men and vaunted in being his people this is not the glorying of the heart but the boasting of the tongue and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent 
he now grants their understanding of the divine will and approval of what was useful which they had gained from the doctrine of the law there are two kinds of approbation one of choice when we embrace what we have proved to be good another of judgment which enables us to distinguish good from evil while we by no means pursue it with zeal or ardour the jews were so skilled in the law that they could exercise the office of censorship on others but were by no means desirous to regulate their own life accordingly moreover when paul discusses their hypocrisy we may easily infer on the other hand provided our judgment is conducted with sincere affection that we finally approve in a proper manner of what is useful when we attend to god for his will as it has been revealed in the law is here determined to be the guide and mistress of true approbation and art confident that thou thyself he bestows also more upon them as if they had not only sufficient for their own use but for the enriching of others he supplies them i say with as much learning as may also redound to the advantage of others for they therefore profess themselves teachers because they had the pompous appearance and show of learning and seemed to carry about with them in their breasts all the secrets of the law they were undoubtedly vain of that knowledge in which they boasted but paul while he indirectly laughs at their vicious abuse of the law shows on the other hand that proper knowledge must be sought for from the law that truth may rest on a solid foundation thou therefore which teachest another although the praises which he had hitherto stated of the jews were such as might justly adorn them provided other ornaments of a more true and valuable character were not wanting yet since they contained ordinary gifts which even the wicked might possess and corrupt by a depraved abuse they are by no means sufficient for conferring solid glory but paul not content with refuting and eluding their arrogance retorts it to their disgrace because they confided in their privileges alone for he deserves to experience no small disgrace who not only renders excellent and admirable gifts of god useless but vitiates and contaminates them by his own depravity he also is a perverse counsellor who neglecting to himself useful advice is only wise for the interests of others paul therefore proved that to be productive of their dishonour from which they were desirous to receive praise paul therefore proved that to be productive of their dishonour from which they were desirous to receive praise thou that preachest a man must not steal he seems to have made an allusion to the passage in psalm fifty verse sixteen but unto the wicked god said what hast thou to do with my statutes or that thou shouldst take my covenant in thy mouth seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee when thou sawest a thief when thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers this reproof as it formerly applied to the jews who depending upon their mere knowledge of the law lived no better than if they wanted the law may also be turned against christians if we do not take great care and it indeed applies too much to many who while they boast of a certain rare knowledge of the gospel abandon themselves to every kind of profligacy as if the gospel was not a rule of life that we may not so securely jest with the lord let us call to our recollection what dreadful judgments impend over such mere flourishers in words who boast of the word of god by their prating alone and mere babbling thou that abhorrest idols he properly opposes sacrilege to idolatry as a subject of the same kind for sacrilege is simply a profanation of the divine majesty with which both heathens and poets were acquainted in this sense ovid's metamorphosis three accuses the kyrgyz of sacrilege because he despised the sacred rites of bacchus and in the fasti 
he denominates them sacrilegious hands which violated the deity of venus but since the gentiles affixed the majesty of their gods to idols they only called it sacrilege when any one stole away what was dedicated to their temples in which they considered their whole religion to consist thus at the present time where superstition reigns instead of the word of god they acknowledge no other kind of sacrilege than the purloining of riches from their temples since they have no god but idols no religion but pomp and luxury and we are here in the first place admonished not to please ourselves and despise others when we have performed some part of the law in the second place while we glory on account of external idolatry being removed from among us we ought in the meantime to banish and eradicate with great care every secret impiety from our minds thou that boastest in the law although every transgressor of the law dishonours god since we are all born on this condition to worship him with righteousness and holiness yet he justly in this case imputes special guilt to the jews for when they proclaimed god to be their legislator and were by no means careful to regulate their lives according to his rule they declared themselves to pay little attention to the majesty of their god which they could so easily despise thus also at the present time such as idly prate concerning the doctrine of christ while at the same moment they trample upon it by their headstrong and libidinous course of life dishonour the messiah by the transgression of his gospel for the name of god i consider this quotation to be taken from ezekiel thirty six verse twenty three rather than isaiah fifty two five because there are no reproaches against his people in isaiah with which the whole chapters in ezekiel abounds some consider this to be an argument from the less to the greater in the following sense if the prophet justly blamed the jews of his age because the glory and power of god were despised among the heathen on account of their captivity as if he was unable to preserve the nation which he had taken under his protection much more are you the dishonour and reproach of god whose very base morals cause an evil report against his religion i do not condemn this interpretation but prefer a more simple one as if paul had said we see all the reproach of the people of israel to fall upon the name of god because the jews being considered and reported to be his carry the name of god engraven upon their foreheads so that the deity is in some measure dishonoured among men by the baseness of a people boasting in his name and it is very unbecoming for a people who borrow their glory from god to fix the stamp of ignominy upon his sacred name since he deserved at least to have received from them a different recompense for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law but if thou be a breaker of the law thy circumcision is made uncircumcision therefore if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision and shall not uncircumcision which is by nature if it fulfil the law judge thee who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law for he is not a jew which is one outwardly neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh but he is a jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of god circumcision verily profiteth paul anticipates and removes the exception which the jews could adduce in defence of their cause for if circumcision was a symbol of the covenant of the lord by which he had chosen abraham and his seed for a peculiar people they thought on this account that they did not boast in vain but since they omitted the truth of the sign and fixed their attention on its external appearance alone he answers they had no cause to arrogate anything to themselves from a naked sign the truth of circumcision was placed in the spiritual promise which required faith and jews neglected both the promise and faith and for this reason their confidence was vain 
hence it is that here and in his epistle to the galatians he omits the chief use of circumcision and accommodates his discourse to the gross errors of the jews this must be carefully attended to for had the apostle been discussing the whole nature and reason of circumcision it would have been absurd entirely to omit all mention of grace and gratuitous promise but in both passages he speaks according to the circumstance of the subject which he treats and therefore only handles the controverted part they considered circumcision of itself to be a work fit for procuring righteousness he answers therefore addressing them according to their own opinion if a work is regarded in circumcision its condition must be that the person circumcised should act in all things as an entire and perfect worshipper of god and perfection therefore is the work of circumcision we may say the same also of our own baptism should any one depending on the alone confidence of the baptism of water consider himself justified as if he had procured holiness from that work the design of baptism by which the lord calls us to holiness of life must be brought forward as affording an answer to this opinion the promise and the grace which baptism testifies and seals to us would be passed over in silence by our opponents because we have to deal with writers who content with the empty shadow of baptism neither regard nor consider what is truly important in that sacrament you may observe in the writings of paul when he is reasoning with the faithful concerning signs and without controversy he connects the efficacy and fulfilment of the promises but where he is discussing a subject with preposterous interpreters unacquainted with the nature of signs in this case he omits mentioning the proper and genuine nature of signs and directs all his arguments against their false interpretation and many because they find paul adduce circumcision rather than any other work of the law think him to deprive ceremonies alone of any claim for righteousness but this is not the case for it always happens that such as dare advance their merits against the righteousness of god boast more in external observances than in solid probity for whoever is touched and affected with a serious fear of god will never dare to lift up his eyes to heaven for the more he aims at the attainment of true righteousness so much the more fully will he discern his great distance from it but we need not wonder if the pharisees who are content to have shadowed out holiness by an external pretence so easily flatter themselves in a dangerous security paul therefore having left the jews nothing but this miserable subterfuge of boasting on their being justified by circumcision now also deprives them of this vain pretence if therefore uncircumcision the argument is very strong everything is inferior and made subordinate to the end circumcision has respect to the law and therefore ought to be inferior to its power it is of more importance therefore to keep the law than circumcision which was established for its sake whence it follows that an uncircumcised person provided he keeps the law is much superior to a jew who transgresses the law with his dry and useless circumcision and thus though polluted by nature he will be so sanctified by observing the law that uncircumcision shall be imputed to him as circumcision the word uncircumcision in the second passage occurs in its proper sense in the first it properly means a gentile and the thing is understood to mean a person besides none need be anxious about the worshippers to whom paul here alludes since it is impossible to find them for paul's intention was simply to propose the following hypothesis if any gentile can be found who observes the law his righteousness in uncircumcision is to be esteemed more highly than the jews circumcision without righteousness i therefore do not refer the passage following and shall not uncircumcision which is by nature if it fulfil the law judge thee who by circumcision doth transgress the law to the persons but to the example it affords the words of paul lead us to this sense 
which is the same as the queen of the south shall come etc and the men of nineveh shall rise up in judgment matthew twelve forty one and forty two the gentiles says paul who observe the law shall judge thee a transgressor of the law though he is without circumcision and thou art literally circumcised by the letter and circumcision the meaning is literal circumcision he does not understand that the jews break the law in consequence of their having the letter of circumcision but because they cease not with their external ceremony of circumcision to obliterate the spiritual worship of god namely piety righteousness judgment and truth which are the principal points of the law for he is not a jew a true jew is not to be determined either from his carnal descent or from the title of his profession or an external symbol nor does circumcision which makes a jew consist in external figure alone but both are internal his additional remarks on true circumcision are derived from various passages in scripture and from the common doctrine of the word of god for the people is everywhere commanded to circumcise their heart and god promises to do it for circumcision did not imply the trifling destruction of one part but the cutting away of our whole nature circumcision therefore was the mortification of the whole flesh by the letter he means external observance without piety spirit implies the design of the ceremony which is spiritual for since the whole weight of signs and rites depends on the design if this be taken away the letter alone remains which of itself is utterly useless the apostle adopts this language because whenever the voice of god sounds or any of his precepts are given if men receive them not with sincere affection of the heart they remain in the letter in cold dead writing but if they penetrate the mind they are in some measure transformed into the spirit an allusion is also made to the difference between the old and new testament observed by jeremiah chapter thirty one verse thirty three where the lord says he will ratify and establish his covenant after he has put his law in their inward parts and written it in their hearts paul had regard to the same subject when comparing the law with the gospel he calls the former the letter which is not only dead but even killeth and the latter he distinguishes by the praise of the spirit the folly of those interpreters was uncommonly gross who understood by the letter the genuine sense and by the spirit allegories whose praise is not of men because the eyes of men are fixed upon mere appearances he asserts we ought not to be contented with what is only commended by human opinion which is so apt to be deceived by external splendour but to be satisfied with the eyes of god from which the most hidden secrets of our hearts are not concealed thus he again brings back hypocrites who deceive themselves by false opinions to the tribunal of god End of section five.